Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis, and this is episode 14, recorded on Wednesday, June 12th, 2019. The title of this episode is The First Update from New Rider G4. In this episode, I have an entertaining follow-up call with John Gardner IV, who I interviewed a few episodes ago about his new motorcycle purchase and what he had done up to that point to get himself ready for a successful future as a new motorcyclist. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. I just wanted to give a couple shout outs. On Tuesday, I went to the local cycle gear store in Hicksville, New York for their Gear and Grinds bike night. I want to thank the crew over there for a great time. It was beautiful weather. They had a really good turnout, a big variety of bikes there. I got to meet some really cool people, including people I've gotten to know on Facebook, but I've never met in person. In particular, I'd like to give a shout out to Don Gamo. I messaged him back in March, and we had talked about him coming on the show and just kind of never quite made that happen. But I uh, got a chance to meet him in person at the, at the Cycle Gear bike night, so that was really cool. Don is the founder and president of the Empire State Motorcycle Safety Education Program, and their mission is to promote motorcycle awareness and the benefits of rider education. So I definitely want to make that interview happen in the next month or two, and so uh, we'll do that as soon as he and I can coordinate schedules and uh, get that set up. Also, I just wanted to give some news and updates. So in a previous episode, I had mentioned uh, Joy had written in, and uh, she's actually the one who had asked me to see if I could get Dan Dan the Fireman on the show. Uh, she's on Instagram as NJ Cut Girl, and I had mentioned that she rides a Honda Rebel, and I wasn't quite sure what size, so she messaged me and she said, it is a 500, so she definitely is riding a Honda Rebel 500, so that is really, really cool. Uh, also in the news, so Isla Man TT News, as you know, I'm a Kawasaki fan, and so Dean Harrison won a dramatic Dunlop Senior TT race on Friday morning, the final race of the 2019 Isle of Man TT races. He was with the Silicon Engineering Kawasaki team, uh, and he took the lead after longtime leader Peter Hickman ran into trouble on the fifth lap. So go Kawasaki, go Team Green. As you also know, I'm a motorcycle racing fan, and at the end of this month, we're going to have the 97th running of the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. This is the annual Invitational Automobile and Motorcycle Hill Climb to the Summit of Pikes Peak, America's Mountain in Colorado, USA. The 2019 race will take place on Sunday, June 30th, with the green flag dropping at 7.30 a.m. Also, I mentioned in uh, the prior episode that coming up is the first ever Keystone TT, which will be uh, Sunday, June 23rd. 2019 with the rain date on June 30th. I'm definitely going to be attending that. The start and finish is out of Concordville, Pennsylvania. And this is a 100-mile loop on public roads that are very scenic with limited automobile traffic in general. And the loop will be laid out with clearly recognizable markers indicating any change in direction with a marker after the change to assure you that you're indeed headed in the right direction. So I'm going to have a link to that in the show notes. I've ridden in different parts of Pennsylvania. It's beautiful countryside. So uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to meeting a bunch of, a bunch of cool motorcycle people. I also wanted to give you a Werwer update. 
So as I've mentioned before, this podcast is a sponsor of the Women Riders World Relay, affectionately known as WORWAR. So just a quick update. The baton is currently in Pakistan. The relay has paused for a brief time to work out some logistics. As far as I know, they ran into some difficulties getting the baton through Iran. They're currently scheduled to resume on day 121 from Islamabad in Pakistan. You can find out more by listening to episode 314 of the Motorcycle and Misfits podcast. Haley Bell, the founder of Werewer, is a guest on that episode. You can So you can tune in and learn more about her and Werewer over there at the podcast. As soon as we can work it out, Haley has also agreed to be a guest on this podcast. So that'll be happening sometime in the distant future. So stay tuned for that. Before we get on to the actual show, as always, I'd like to thank everyone who has written in. If you haven't already, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me in Facebook and let me know that you're out there and anything you want to let me know about the show. You can always contact me at soyouwanttoride at yahoo.com or use the link in the podcast notes to my website where you'll find all my contact details. So now that we've got the, the news and updates out of the way, let's get on to the show. Hope you enjoy it. I'd like to welcome my special guest tonight. This guest also happens to be my first returning guest on the podcast. Calling in all the way from State College, Pennsylvania, is John Gardner IV, otherwise known as G4. Welcome, John. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Chris, for having me again. I'm so proud wow. to be your first recurring guest. I feel so accomplished. I, I think it's really cool. And uh, like you and I had chatted, I mean, I think if, as long as you're willing, maybe we'll do this every couple months or so. And I, I just think it'll be a lot of fun for people to just kind of follow along with the progress you make in the world of motorcycling and just, you know, the things that you want to share as you gain more experience and more knowledge. I, I think it'll be really cool. As a card-carrying narcissist, I love that idea. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. So, so maybe maybe that's something to do a toast to. So, um, you know, so I started this little tradition a few episodes ago, actually, with uh, when Tony Terabellini was on, and just a, kind of in the tradition of the Loud Pipes podcast, just having a little little alcoholic beverage to to enjoy during the recording and to kind of toast to. So, it was kind of just before it came up with this clever idea. Uh, about what to call this thing. So my question for you is, so what is your spirit of adventure for tonight? Uh, well, my spirit of adventure is one of my favorite uh, beers uh, native to the Pennsylvania area, the Erie Brewing Company's Railbender Ale, a uh, Scottish-style ale that is itself brewed only a few miles uh, from one of the major locomotive manufacturing plants in the country, that of, I think, uh, General Electric. Oh, cool. Very so nice. So I have it unopened. I have my bottle opener here, and I'll try and get a, a neat sound effect for you. All right, let's go. And, and mind you now, this is a live sound effect. This is not like a from a fo Foley studio or anything like that. So <laughs> that there is the go. real deal. Okay, awesome. And uh, so I, I'm sipping a little Czechoslovakian vodka. Um, I really can't tell you more about it than that, simply because the bottle is all in Czechoslovakian and Unfortunately, that's not one of the languages I'm even semi-fluent in. But uh, this is, it's actually something a, a friend of mine had given me many, many years ago. And I have to say, it's, it's like aged very well. And vodka is interesting because for me, not good vodkas are kind of terrible to drink unless it's in a mixed drink. But uh, this is one of those ones you can just kind of sip. I so, uh, had a Czechoslovakian vodka. How does it taste, sir? It's it's actually very good. So maybe, maybe I'll have to save save a little sum for uh, maybe we'll get a chance. We'll meet up in Pennsylvania. Um, so so we'll do a little toast. So first of all, to your second appearance on the podcast, 
and also to all of the good news that you're going to share with us tonight. So cheers. I'll bang something against the glass. <laughs> there, there you goes. go. All right. Awesome. I'll have to hire you as my audio engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so John was first on episode eight, which was titled an interview with new rider and new motorcycle owner G4. Um, now I guess it's more like, um, getting experienced rider and motorcyclist with how many, how many miles on the motorcycle now? I just checked when I came home earlier today, 160.3, according right. to the odometer. Okay. Awesome. Well done. And, uh, from the smile on your face, I'm guessing they've been good miles. <laughs> how, how could you tell? <laughs> okay. Good. I thought I was being subtle. <laughs> That's one of the funny things that just shows through when someone when someone loves motorcycles and they, you know, you talk about motorcycles or they get off a motorcycle. It's just I don't know. It just always seems to be that similar kind of pleasant, very pleasant expression on their face. So um, one one thing I thought we'd do before we kind of get into the, the meat of things is in, in listening back to that episode that I did with you, you know, I realized I might have mixed up a little bit kind of the timeline of things with you in terms of, you know, when you purchased the bike and, um, you know, and, and et cetera. So I thought maybe we could kind of, if you want to just kind of just run us through quickly, just clarify, like from, you know, selecting the bike to, you know, where the course fell in and then, you know, purchasing the bike, picking it up and all that. Or having it delivered. Of course, of course. Um, that timeline, uh, some of it uh, did overlap a little bit, um, and so it's it, it might be a little bit hard for me to remember. But the general sure. gist is, um, late March, I came back from Europe, uh, and that's what gave me the idea to have a motorcycle. I actually, I don't, I don't think I shared this story on the last episode. No, actually not. And you've piqued my curiosity now, so do oh. do tell. Well, um, I decided uh, this is very um, quintessential and emblematic of my personality. Um, in late March, uh, I decided to fly to France for a date. Nice. Because I'm, I've run out of dateable people in this hemisphere, so I had to try another one. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Whatever works. <laughs> um, actually, no. It was a, a student uh, here at the Pennsylvania State University. She was doing a semester abroad, and I thought, hey, I am a crazy-ass person. Why not travel 19.6% of the circumference of the Earth for a date? If it works out well, um, then I have infinity brownie points over her for right. traveling one of the farthest possible distances just for a three-hour <laughs> date. And if it works out terribly, then I at least have the story that I can say I flew to France for a date. <laughs> so that's a win-win scenario. Exactly. Awesome. Um, I spent 3.4 days there, um, which was just a hair longer than the time it actually took to travel there. Right. Um, uh, I started off in uh, Montpellier uh, uh, on the southern portion of uh, the, the Mediterranean coast um, in France. Um, then after uh, the date and spending a night there, I uh, took Le Train à Grande Vitesse uh, from Montpellier to uh, Paris-Charles-de-Gaulle uh, station. I'm butchering all of those pronunciations, but also it's French. I have every right to because I believe you've, you've, you've convinced me so far. So <laughs> it sounds, sounds French to me, so. Yeah, I swear, most of my uh, pronunciation came from transit announcements. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, and I do have listeners in, in France. So, you know, listeners, if you want to correct his pronunciation at all, please let us know. A thousand pardons <laughs> to all of ye. Anyway, so the story as it goes, um, I, I first started to notice uh, this different culture that they had in Montpellier um, when I was... Um, 
uh, walking around, uh, I noticed that on uh, bike racks, there were a ton of bicycles there because, of course, the cities are uh, smaller and uh, much more navigable by foot and uh, a, a smaller scale means of transportation. A ton of bicycles. But I started to notice that on most of the bike racks, um, they were almost exactly a quarter split, um, a quarter for regular bicycles, a quarter for um, e-bikes. Uh, a quarter for scooters, and then a quarter for fully blown motorcycles that mm-hmm. I mean had the exact same bike racks and were changed uh, chained to the racks themselves. Um, uh, it, but they they just weren't bicycles. Um, there were also a lot of scooters that were parked just on the sidewalks in between uh, trees and road signs, and that was the first time that I had ever actually seen um, motorcycles uh, parked uh, adjacent to bicycles, thinking that they could have a similar purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was a, a very avid uh, bicycle commuter when I was there, and right. so I um. It it kind of got me thinking. Then when I flew back uh, to uh, JFK, um, I, of course, had the uh, dreadful depression that one does when flying from literally any other city in the world to JFK. (laughs) But anyway, I um, looked at at my car. At least a lot of the construction is done, it seems, at least the last time I was there. Oh, it it didn't finish. It transferred to LaGuardia. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Anyway, um, so then I, uh, it was, I think, 11.35 at night. Um, I had just spent an ungodly long day traveling. Um, uh, I think it was an 11-hour flight uh, plus a few hours uh, in Charlotte de Gaulle going through customs. Um, anyway, uh, after all of that, um, I, I came back and I saw my car. And I thought to myself, I have one backpack and one me. That car has five seats and room for six backpacks, Mm -hmm. Um, and it has terrible gas mileage, and it just takes up a lot of space and wear on the road. It's highly inefficient, especially given that I have no friends and no life and therefore don't take people with me when I'm traveling. (laughs) So I thought it it was just completely mostly a waste. Now, uh, I I do have more eccentric hobbies, of course, model railroading being one of them, so I often have to carry around enormous loads of lumber in the back of my car, so I still will always need a car. Um, But for most of the uh, purposes uh, that I had, which were just... Um, one day weekend getaways driving all over the state and possibly farther. Um, I really didn't need any of that. I could just stuff all of the mo- the bare essentials uh, in a backpack. Um, and if I could get on a motorcycle, uh, then that would be a much better gas mileage, you know, save the planet and all that. Mm-hmm. And so that was the what got the gears turning for me to want to have a motorcycle. Wow. Okay. About two weeks after I came back from France, um, so mid-April or so, um, I started... The this entire journey by uh, driving around to all of the different dealerships saying, hi, hi, everybody. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Can you just um, like help? And so I had a few uh, interesting people speak to me there. Um, that's actually where I met the salesperson uh, from uh, or, or who eventually sold me the motorcycle. Um, and they all suggested the Pennsylvania State Motorcycle Safety Program. I was able to schedule uh, the class about uh, two weeks out, uh, or so actually, no, I, I think it was a little bit less. Um, uh, uh, maybe about a week, a week and a half after I got back from France. Uh, and then I was able to schedule the, the class about a week, a week and a half out. So by the 30th of April, uh, was the day that I actually had my motorcycle license. Um, kind of after 
um, I came back from France and started looking into all of the nearby motorcycle dealerships. That's when I started looking at um, the different types of motorcycles uh, and uh, kind of narrowing down on sport touring being the style that I needed. And I, I had about 12 motorcycles at that time. Then on that day in mid-April, uh, when I went out uh, to all of the different um, uh, 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 retailers uh, and showrooms, when I uh, was shown the Tracer, I then went back to that list of about 10 or 12 motorcycles, found the Tracer right there, started narrowing it down, uh, th that list, of course, both looking into the Tracer specifically, but then also... All right, sorry about that, John. So I just had another little technical defugality over here, and just whatever, your your, your audio kind of froze up. So... So when we quote unquote left off, so you were mentioning how the Tracer had kind of come up as a motorcycle of interest. Um, and then you were starting to, to talk about some of the other ones that, that kind of interest, interested you. Mm -hmm. So after I spent my day driving around to all of the different um, motorcycle retailers in the area, um, uh, I, I was specifically on that day shown uh, the Tracer. Um, and I looked back to, uh, at my list of um 10 or 12 motorcycles that were kind of sport touring adjacent. Um, and I, I, I both started looking into the Tracer specifically itself and also kind of narrowing down the list. And ultimately, the four that I came down to, the basic class that I was looking for, um, I think it included the KTM Super Duke, the Kawasaki Versus, um, and one, one more. It was a Suzuki, um, but I don't know the model name. V-Strom, maybe? He actually, no, that, that, that's probably it. Okay. Um, so uh, I had it, and then, of course, the uh, Yamaha Tracer 900cc GT. So right. those are basically the types of motorcycles that I was uh, looking for. Um, they, uh, I, I think, is sport touring with a 17-inch front wheel is the general class. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the idea behind it is that they were kind of um, uh, touring-capable motorcycles that could take me on these long two, 350-mile day trips that I frequently go on. Um but we're also not like, I don't know, gold wing style barges, I think is the exact <laughs> word I've heard some people use. Um, okay. Things that were um, required a lot of balance and experience to yeah. not suffer negative results from. Gotcha. So I uh, started looking into this is when I started looking at this is when I started looking into all of the reviews of those various motorcycles. Um, and it was sometime around this time that I started to really hone in on the Tracer specifically as something that I wanted. So about a week and a half or so after this day of going around to all of the motorcycle um, uh, retailers was when I actually took the motorcycle safety course. I had to mm -hmm. schedule it about three or four weeks in advance because it was um, so high in because it was in such high demand. Right. Um, uh, but it was after the time that I started looking at motorcycles. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Then two weeks later, um, on April the thirtieth, uh, was the day I actually. Uh, uh, got my license, um, and I went back to uh, the Five Star Power Sports uh, in the in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is where um, I found the Tracer. I took it for a test ride, um, considered that it was manageable enough for me, and then laid down fifteen grand on it. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. And then, um, and, and so. In part, I guess you you did the the MSF basic rider course because it sounded like as you were kind of shopping around, people were saying, "Hey, this would be a, a good idea." Like the, I guess a lot of the salespeople were kind of recommending that you um, do the course. 
I think I had actually scheduled it uh, a little bit before I started talking to all the mm. salespeople, but it was nonetheless something that they all brought up. Um, both of the kind of tracks of the, the practical motorcycle experience and also the choosing which one I wanted, both of those were kind of running in parallel at the same time. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, cool. Okay, so you, you laid down your, your 15 grand on the motorcycle. Um, and then, so that that was, I think, the day before... The, the last episode you were on, right? Because I remember we we talked about that, that you had said, hey, you know, I'm now the, whatever, proud owner of this huge amount of debt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Go and America. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, Move okay. capitalism. Cool. So, okay, so, so you made the purchase, did the paperwork. I guess they needed a little time to prep the bike, right? And then you, you were on the episode the next day, and then about a week later, I think you took delivery, right? They actually delivered to your home? Yes, I believe it was on the 5th or 6th of May. Um, I was able to negotiate that into the purchase price. I really um, didn't intend on uh, being such a hard bargainer, Um, but then uh, I guess I wasn't too familiar with um, the sales tactics, how um, the MSRP did not include things like uh, assembly fees, delivery fees, and and equipment. Um, And so when they started raising the price, I started lowering it. Oh, gotcha, Um, okay. And so they said, "Okay, we're going to need to bring it up five thousand And I said, "Oh, I'm going to need to bring it down three thousand. <laughs> I swear they probably don't like me there. I did not ever think that I was going to be my father being the hard bargainer, but then I all of a sudden discovered myself, and it was the poor salesperson who was sighing. I was sitting there with a maniacal grin on my face, thinking, "Ooh, this deal is just getting better and better for me. Right. If I tell them I'll buy it for this price and buy it today, then they have to give it to me, and lo and behold, they did mm-hmm. poor people." Well, you know, that that's the, the art of negotiation, right? So and and you know, you have to guess that if they were losing money on the deal, they wouldn't sell it. You know, and, and in fact it's interesting because when when I bought the the, the Kawasaki Z nine hundred RS, I, I don't consider myself much of a negotiator, but you know, I, I did kind of work with them a little bit, you know, as as best I could. And it it honestly it did get to a point where they're like, Well, sorry, we just we can't sell you the motorcycle. Now that of course could be a bluff tactic. I mean, you just and that's the thing about negotiation—you just never know. But I'm like, okay, at that point, I felt like you know I was happy with the deal, and I, I was pretty sure they were pretty, you know, they, they, they were being pretty straightforward on it. So that you you can't you can't complain about something like that. You know, it's like if they're willing to come down, it's like, hey, that's the best we can do. We have to make money. You know, we're a business too. Okay, fine. I think that's that's pretty fair. You know, it's a pretty fair way to do it. So. Okay. Well, anyway, so well, well done for your negotiating tactics, and I think that's that's pretty cool because uh, you're a couple hour drive away. Like where you live is a couple hours from the dealer. Hour into uh, something or other. Yeah. Okay. There are no real good dealers in town. I mean, there is um one Harley dealership out to the east, but a Harley is not ever something I would consider owning for myself. Um, even ignoring the premium pricing of it. Mm-hmm. Too much chrome for my likes. There is one piece of chrome on my motorcycle, and I'm very proud that it is on the bottom side of it and cannot be viewed. <laughs> gotcha. It's the tailpipe. They've okay. hidden it. Yeah, that's it, interesting. I'm kind of the same way. I'm not I'm not big on chrome on my motorcycles. Like it, it, That's just not a thing that really indicates to me. Uh, but I was actually at uh, the local cycle gear last night hanging out. They had a, like a bike night, and there was bikes you know, of all different types. And there was a couple Harleys. Um, beautifully chromed out and uh, like i have to say they were beautiful bikes they're not bikes i would own you know at this point because it's just not my thing quote unquote but but yeah so i'm kind of with you on that 
I like I like kind of the matte finishes and you know things of that sort. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, okay, so cool. So now that's good. So now I got kind of the whole chronology of you know what happened with deciding on the motorcycle and, and thanks for telling that story because I didn't realize that's pretty cool like how the whole thing came about. I think that's 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 a good story. So next thing I just wanted to touch on is um, I guess it was not too long after you took delivery of the bike. You and I were kind of chatting back and forth, I guess, Facebook Messenger or something. Um, and you mentioned that your grandmother had been in town. And she had a nice little surprise. Well, I guess you had you had you had a big surprise. <laughs> little is a very poor well, word to well, choose there. Well, I was gonna say so. You had a big surprise for her, and that kind of led to her having a little surprise for you, right? So maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Uh, somewhat, yes. So um, I, I, I took her from the airport, um, and about uh, about uh, uh, two thirds of the way home, I told her. Um, oh yeah, by the way, there's also, uh, something that, um, I, I should inform you of. It, it, it's going to be a little bit of a surprise. The rest of the way home, she started asking me, oh, did you get a mail order bride from Zimbabwe? <laughs> um, uh, did the house burn down? It's, it's, it's really, I, I'm surprised she could ever think of me doing some of these things. No, thank you. Um, I, I, I did not burn the house down. Uh, I'm sure it's such a small town. It would have been on the news already. Right. Um, anyway, so she arrived, uh, and did a classic double take after I pulled into the garage um, and said, oh my god, that exact way about 25, 30 times before mm -hmm. she recovered. Okay. But so, she, didn't, um, she didn't faint or anything. I, she may have gotten closer than would have okay. been preferred for somebody okay. of her health, but mm -hmm. yeah. okay. she still has not told uh, the rest of my family, thankfully enough, because mm -hmm. my mother being a pediatrician, she firmly believes in donor cycles. Ah, gotcha. In fact, no, she actually herself, um, when she was doing a surgery rotation, this is a terrifying story, um, she told me about uh, the inverse tattoo law in uh, certain medical hospitals, how the more tattoos you have, the more likely you are to survive a horrible event. If you are, um, I, I don't know, a, a do-gooder, uh, a, a civil rights uh, agitator, then um, you're going to get stung by a bee and die. Um, but if you are um, a thug, then you're probably going to be run over by a car and walk away from it. Mm. So there was one story that she told um, that has never exited my mind about how some person who uh, ascribed to this tattoo, uh, inverse tattoo rule, um, he was in a motorcycle accident. Uh, and uh, you, you know the um, uh, metal uh, uh, railings on the sides of uh, roads and mountainous areas, uh, guardrails to keep mm -hmm. you on the highway? Sure. Um, he was thrown off of his motorcycle and skidded down uh, 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 crosswise on, on these guardrails wow. um, for about 250 feet before coming to a stop, such that um, his reproductive organs were thoroughly shredded. Oh, boy. Um, okay. So th that's kind of where my mother is coming from. That's why I have not told her yet. Gotcha. Thankfully, gotcha, gotcha. though, um, yeah. I think the surprise you were alluding to, my grandmother informed me that my grandfather was actually a motorcycle racer back in the 1940s. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, she said that um, uh, she would uh, uh, in, uh, help me along with some of this because it kind of ran in the family and she didn't thoroughly approve of my mother's view of the situation. Um, uh, and it, it was nice that I was uh, taking on this hobby. Awesome. 
Cool. And then, uh, so I think she helped out a little, like you said, on like one of the, the loan payments or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, she made it such that I could purchase all of my um, safety gear uh, immediately right off the bat in one go. Awesome. Um, uh, of course, in order to um, prevent me from, you know, dying prematurely. Um, because I, I was, um, prior to that, I had a schedule of how I would um, purchase one large item per month. Uh, but but uh, she helped along such that I could do it all at the uh, at, at the front and be as safe as I could the entire way. Oh, that's awesome. So she kind of just accelerated the process a little bit. Exactly, yes. Oh, that's awesome. So what what uh, what did you end up getting? You know, what 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 gear did you get? Uh, so I think I have this written down here. Um, so as part of the deal that I was able to strike um, at Five Star Power Sports, um, I got an iFly jacket, um, a black with neon yellow, uh, well, not quite trim, but like panels, um, about, I don't know, uh, 75, um, uh, 70% black within uh, the rest neon, uh, mm-hmm. as much visibility as I could manage, um, oh. and a bell helmet. Um, I think it's kind of their middle starter level um not quite sure of the name off the top of my head uh and so so that's what i was able to start off with uh, what she helped me get uh i got uh climb armored jeans um with kevlar uh hip tailbone and uh knee protectors awesome um I got um, uh, gloves, uh, I think Alpine Stars. Uh, I think they're actually a little bit more adventure gloves, but they fit really nicely, very tightly, um, mm-hmm. and were very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, was able to get uh, some replacement back protectors for the um, uh, iFly jacket because it, it was a very cheap and simple foam. Gotcha. Uh, so I got, um, again, Force Field brand. Uh, and then I have enough left over to get some boots. I, I ordered something off of Revzilla. It was a, a, a little bit too large, so I'm kind of choosing uh, the next one so far. But mm. that's what I have. Uh, until that point, I'm using my mountaineering grade everyday boots. I am gotcha. incredibly and legendarily hard on my footwear. So my mm. parents decided to break down a few years ago, and they bought me, um, I think, uh, $350 mountaineering boots that actually do have the attachments for crampons. But finally, for the first time in my life, I was able to use a pair of shoes for longer than four months before it disintegrated. Okay. Well, that, that's a beautiful thing. And you have the extra benefit if you ever decide to go, you know, ice racing or anything with your, with your, <laughs> with your tracer, you can put the crampons on the, on the shoes, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'll be all set. And uh, I think also you mentioned that you, you got some frame sliders, right, for the bike? Oh, yes. Um, I got some uh, frame sliders for the motorcycle and a few other things, um, uh, like, for example, uh, oh, uh, a collapsible small um, uh, tire pump that could plug into a, a 12-volt uh, uh, the, the adapter, um, a nice little uh, electronic uh, tire pressure sensor, a, a few other things to help fit it out like that. Nice. Okay. Awesome. And then so the frame sliders, is that just the frame or did you get like frame and axle like front and rear axle there's like different kinds of things you can put on i think it's just the frame it's whatever one uh is built specifically for the tracer frame okay so they're kind of like i don't know large uh metal bars about i don't know eight ten inches long uh rather thick that bolted straight on it was Mm -hmm. actually very funny reading the instructions they said only do one side at a time lest the engine block fall out of the motorcycle (laughs) okay so i guess you were undoing engine bolts would be would be my guess it's actually interesting i won't get into too much detail but this past weekend Gina and I put like highway bars, crash bars, sounds a little similar to like what you have on her Indian Scout 60. And um, 
I, I was very enthused when she told me, yeah, well, it was awesome. She got them. She's like, oh, they arrived. I think it was on Friday. And so Sunday she wanted to install them. And then she informed me that there were no instructions. <laughs> now, ordinarily, I'd be like, okay, well, there's probably no instructions because it's so obvious how they install that they don't need instructions. So I was like, let's, when let's, does it ever work out that let's easily? Let's give it the benefit of the doubt. But sure enough, no, you know, we, we put them up against the side of the frame and it was like, there was two ways it looked like it could be installed. Like, like kind of just close because of the, the bulk. It was really weird that the way that the foot pegs on the Scout 60 are, that there's kind of an assembly of things and the bolt patterns, like there's two bolts that are about the same distance apart in different areas. All right. So, uh, she had she had found like a YouTube video that she showed me on the phone and it was just not clear enough. So I actually went onto my computer with the 19 inch monitor and I found this guy had actually the, the video she was looking at and I'm like freeze framing and you know <laughs> blowing it up and zooming in. And finally, I was able to detect that what he had when he had the foot controls off was like bare metal exposed. And so we looked at that and I said, can you just check this out? You see how it looks like that? And there's a silver bolt there. Okay. Now that looks like if we took this whole thing off the side of the motorcycle, that would be it. She's like, yep, I think you're right. So, so after, after that hour of research, I'd say the two sides went on in like 15 minutes. It really was no big deal. But even, even if there was no written instructions, if they had just given a picture, like, Okay, this is what you take off, and then you put them on. But yeah, so it's kind of kind of interesting. But so I, I guess you did the installation yourself. Uh, yes, these were not large highway bars. They were just very simple um, uh, frame sliders where the bolts were very easy, and the, and it did have instructions too. And, and so it kind of gave me a little bit of. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it made me feel a little bit safer pushing the bike a little bit farther, knowing that not as much damage would occur to it if I actually did tip it over. Right. Sure. Good. Cool. And so now you've done your first wrenching on the motorcycle, right? <laughs> I mean, um, possibly, yes. Okay, all right. Well, it was or, so or, easy or, it might not quite yet count. Or, or, but... or Alan Keying or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, all right. So that's cool. So that's, that's awesome. So it, it sounds like you're pretty well outfitted now, right? So the, the bike's protected, right? So for doing your moto jitsu and your slow kind of parking lot exercises and you're pretty well geared up and whatever. So uh, I, th- I think... Uh, we we owe a big thank you to grandma for for doing that so that's really awesome and Absolutely. also i understand she's a listener right she she listened to the episode that you were in well uh, i forced maybe, her to maybe listen to partially it. i don't think she's figured out the podcast app yet <laughs> okay that's fine but that's kind of cool that that you got her to listen so that's really awesome um and then uh before we move on to the next topic just a thought that occurred to me i, I don't know that this really would necessarily help, but it's just something interesting for, for the listeners and whatnot. So you mentioned your mom being, now, is she, she a doctor or she's, she was a board certified pediatrician, um, and then decided to come uh, or become a full-time homeschooling stay at home mother. She let her board certification lapse around 2000, eight or nine um and she is actively involved uh in teaching nursing but the last major medical uh activity that she did was um actually being involved in the uh, uh katrina disaster relief ironically uh there's actually somebody here who is a professor at penn state uh she spent i think 33 years uh in the army uh as a, a, a head army nurse she was actually in charge of the very relief hospital uh at new orleans after katrina that my mother worked in hmm. Okay. So profound irony there, what, how it all comes back to inner service. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it sounds like your mom had some like ER experience. 
Uh, well, yes, extensive amounts. Okay, gotcha. So the the kind of the connection that occurred to me is um, actually the, the the person. I don't know if you had a chance to listen. The 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 guy I had on the last episode, Daniel, who goes by Dan Dan the Fireman, um, it was spent ten years in the fire department as an EMT, um, and so he witnessed all kinds of not just motorcycle, but because that's he's a motorcyclist that's the main thing we talked about all kinds of motorcycle related accidents and things and just kind of got tired of seeing them and the after effects and so he took it upon himself he had already started with social media a little bit but he took it upon himself he retired from the fire department and he now devotes full time to his youtube channel dan dan the fireman where he basically you know, most of what he does is promote motorcycle safety, you know, so gearing up, riding safely, training a lot along the lines of what Fast Eddie does with Moto Jitsu. But his thing is more along the lines of the focus on on safety and things of that sort. Um, and it's actually interesting. Weekly, he does a live YouTube video where he takes motorcycle crash videos submitted by listeners and subscribers and then kind of analyzes and goes through i forget the term he used but he said in the in the fire department whenever they had some big fire or accident or something that they handled and addressed they would have a meeting afterwards like a post analysis to kind of go over what happened you know what went wrong what went right how could we be better prepared for the future and so he applies that same practice or that same technique to you know analyzing these videos and pointing out to people like hey look at what's hap- happening here and look at what the rider could have done to avoid this situation that he got himself into or whatever kind of thing. So really, really kind of interesting. So just because of the kind of the medical connection, maybe when the time is right, if you can kind of show your, your, your mom stuff like that, that it's like, Hey, there's all these resources available, you know, that allows people to be safer and whatever. You never know. Maybe oh, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly intending on keeping this a secret as long as I can until yeah, I have a yeah. safety record uh, underneath my belt saying, yeah. oh, I've already been doing this for seven months and I haven't died yet. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got you got to approach it the way that makes sense. Right. So with the with the people that you're dealing with. All right. Cool. So we talked about your new gear and stuff. Um I, I did want to thank you. I, I know that you've got uh, one of my podcast stickers on your motorcycle now, so thank you for helping promote the podcast. Uh, that's really cool. Um, and then I was curious. I know that you've got it mounted under your license plate. Is that something that was there already? Like a, I think it was something that was there. It was part of the framing, and it just fits so perfectly with the sticker. I couldn't pass it up. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm planning on also putting uh, the larger ones uh, on my uh, uh, panniers or, or sa- saddlebags um, whenever I get around to cleaning them. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So then the next thing is, because um, you and I have been messaging back and forth a little bit. So in a recent episode, and I forget which one it was, and you might remember, I had mentioned we were talking about choices of motorcycles and how, you know, it, it right, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Yes, in so, fact, I have those saved. I, 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 I think it was the one after uh, Fast Eddie Moto Jitsu. Maybe but I did with, specifically uh, write down uh, Shaheen. Pardon? Maybe the one with Shaheen, the one about uh, the the guy from Brap Talk. Yes, I think so. Okay. Um, I have saved on my phone the four model numbers uh, uh, that he gave for Yamaha entry levels. Um, the Yamaha MT-07, MT-09, R3, and XSR700. Is that correct? That sounds about right. Yeah, we were talking about different bikes, yeah. Yeah, so um, 
Uh, what was the uh, context of, of how I'm an anomaly, if I recall? <laughs> well, oh, oh, that actually that that was I think that was the Tony episode. What what I'm referring to, well, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but what I'm referring to is I, I was just mentioning how when you're choosing a motorcycle among different types, there's sometimes trade-offs. And I had made I had made some statement about, and it was just kind of just arbitrarily off the top of my head. I didn't really think think it through you know so you get this bike and you get good luggage and you get that bike and you get cruise control and then you had pointed <laughs> out well you know you could buy the yamaha you know tracer 900 gt and you'd have the best of both worlds because you'd have both which is absolutely true and that's a good point that touring bikes often you know are equipped with cruise control and you've got your luggage and, and all that kind of stuff um but yeah i think maybe you're talking about the episode i did with tony terribolini right um, where he had mentioned you kind of as being an outlier in terms of your choice of motorcycle, or is that the one you're thinking? Exactly, I, yes. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I like I took that, I don't know how you took the comment. I took the comment, you know, as a, as a compliment or just a neutral kind of comment. Um, uh, I took in, it um, in the same way that one uh, cackles as an evil genius. I thought it was so on the nose. Uh, <laughs> I, I got great pleasure from it. Okay, excellent. So, and then actually, I think I had even mentioned to you, and I don't know if I mentioned to him, maybe at some point the three of us will do an episode together because I think it would just kind of be interesting. Um, you know, your, your experience as a new rider, his experience kind of as a not rider right now because it's, you know, just his stage in life. He's, you know, he rode early on and then had a family and kind of put it aside, but he still loves it. And he, you know, he, he listens to podcasts and stuff to, to keep up with things. So at some point he's going to be a returning rider when he gets his next bike. So maybe, maybe the three of us will do an episode together. Who knows? Maybe I could help with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, actually, that would be really interesting. It'd be like, Tony, well, you know what you need to do is you need to get this kind of bike and you should get this kind of gear. <laughs> These are the courses I would recommend that you do. You know, I, I mean, who knows? By that time, you might be an MSF coach or something. You know? <laughs> well, actually, Pennsylvania, I guess it would be total control, but, you know. <laughs> so, so, cool. All right. So, um, so maybe, so that's kind of a lot of good introduction, I guess, kind of stuff. So maybe let's kind of get into the kind of the update, the update on G4 part of the show. So you've had your bike now since April, two months, going on two months. Um, I think, uh, well, April 30th, early May, uh, about a month and a smidge. Okay. So a month and a smidge, you got 160 miles on it, right? 160.3. Uh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> I, sorry. I forgot the point three. Um, are, are you using it for commuting at all? Or are you um, still? No. Uh, so uh, going back to one of the main reasons why I started looking into motorcycling, it is of course, just to simply reduce my carbon footprint as much as uh, possible. Um, so firstly, there's a very practical reason why I don't use it uh, for commuting. And that is because the commuter parking lots at Penn state um, are actually farther away from uh, the building that I work in than is my house. Um, wow. So I would have to drive uh, twice the distance and then wait 15 minutes for a circulator bus and then have that take me into my office. Um, I think I tried it uh, once and it's about 25, 30 minutes uh, in the car and bus and walking and it's 10 to 12 on the bicycle. So, um, again, trying to be as environmentally conscious uh, as I can, um, I try to take the bicycle 
whenever I can, mostly for in-town stuff. I mean, it does help that it's a small town and it's a half hour on the bicycle from one side to the other. Right. And then whenever I absolutely cannot use the bicycle, um, that's when I at least plan to use the motorcycle. And then whenever I absolutely cannot use the motorcycle, like when I need to haul around a four by eight foot sheet of plywood, that's when I break down and use the car. Right. Um, now, I, I don't feel necessarily experienced enough quite yet to be able to whip out the motorcycle whenever I need it. So all of my runs on it so far have been entirely for practice. And I have thrown in errands uh, that have um, fit well with the practice route that I've set out for myself. Um, but eventually, uh, that's kind of the um, architecture for how I plan to use yeah. it. Okay, cool. That makes a lot of sense. And then, uh, so I guess you've named your bike or kind of taken the name of the bike, right? Is it so? It's, is it officially Tracer? I think it's Tracer. Okay. Um, so for those who may not know, there's a um, a, a video game um, franchise called Overwatch. Um, while the game itself was very lackluster, in my opinion, uh, it was the surrounding marketing that absolutely left a wave on the internet. Um, they basically made enough... Uh, advertisements that when you run them back to back, um, they they basically turn out to be a movie, uh, and it's very surprisingly character heavy. Anyway, one of the um, uh, characters uh, is actually, I think, uh, the first openly lesbian character in, in any sort of uh, marketing campaign ever. Uh, her name is Tracer, and uh, her tagline is whenever she comes crashing through a wall or a roof to save the day, she says, "Don't worry, loves." Cavalry's here. Um, (laughs) And then I learned a very interesting fact regarding World War II. During the very first uh, few months of World War II, um, the Germans actually conducted a rapid invasion um, of uh, eastern France uh, crossing the Rhine. They equipped a bunch of uh, regular infantry soldiers uh, with motorcycles, dirt bikes specifically. Um, And so it kind of uh, harkens back to the days of the dragoons. Um, So uh, way back in medieval times, you had your cavalry, the the people with the lances... uh, and the armor. Uh, you had your infantry, the people who, who had like spears and swords, but then you had dragoons, which were regular infantry that were mounted on horses. They would ride their horses very rapidly to a portion of the battlefield where they were needed, dismount the horses, and then fight like regular infantry there. Mm. So during World War II, um, this is what the Germans decided to do. They mounted a bunch of infantry on uh, motorcycles. I, I, they, they kind of look a lot like dirt bikes today, and they were able to, inside of half a day, take almost uh, 20 25, 30 miles of territory um, just by simply uh, conducting this very rapid invasion. So I thought to myself, hmm, motorcycles are kind of like the modern cavalry. Mm-hmm. So you have the name Tracer, you have the character Tracer, don't worry, loves cavalry's here. And then you have the motorcycle, which is kind of the modern cavalry. So it, I, it all fits so perfectly together. I just couldn't pass up on that. It's Tracer to me. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't realize there was that much thought that went into it, but that's really cool. Oh, I overthink everything. <laughs> well, well, going back to the kind of work that you do, right? And and working with, um, what would you call, how would you describe it? Bugs, basically, right? Like uh, methicillin de- resistant Staphylococcus aureus, MRSA. That that thing, right? But <laughs> basically, dangerous bugs, but ba- bacteria, basically. Yes. Yes. Or, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I would guess in that line of work, and and you alluded to, to this in the last episode, you know. Uh, leaning towards more cautious is probably a good thing for you and the rest of us. Absolutely. So keep up the awesome work. Just be as, (laughs) think things through as much as you have to. That's much appreciated. That's cool. All right. So now if, um, if you can kind of take a moment and 
reflect back to, so before you bought the motorcycle and before you started riding, right? If you can kind of think back to what your expectations or thoughts were, you know, how you thought it was going to be easy, hard, whatever, how does that compare with what you've actually experienced? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I was somewhat uh, very worried about getting a bike that was too big um, and going too far and, um, I don't know, slipping, uh, what, what's the phrase, laying her down around the corner, mm-hmm. um, uh, being... Uh, getting something that was too much for what I could handle. Um, But actually in riding the motorcycle, it, it honestly, it feels surprisingly natural and responsive. It took a while about, I would say six to eight hours of practice. I have a very regimented log that I'm keeping track of. Mm -hmm. Um, It it took about six to eight hours before I, I started to feel this, um, natural responsiveness to the motorcycle itself, but I, I kind of hit a point there when all of a sudden I felt, oh, wait a second, I, I can do whatever it is that I need, and, and the, the the motorcycle will reflect that. Um, so it kind of, um, it happened surprisingly quickly after only that short amount of time that it started to feel very natural to me. Um and to that end, I, I really don't think that the Tracer was too much for me to handle. I mean, it is a tall bike, um, and there was a single instant, only one, um, when I kind of felt a little bit surprisingly tippy um, uh, very early on in the first hour or two. But I was able to catch it easily enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, a tall bike. It is a heavy bike, but it's not an unmanageable bike. Right. I just have to be very careful about it. And so that's part of where the, the practice regimen came into it. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's that's awesome to hear. And I mean, it kind of uh, as you were talking, it just struck me that you're a motorcyclist like just <laughs> no. I mean, just to hear how you describe that, like, you know, you, you got on the thing and you practice and you did what you felt you need to do. And it seems like it just kind of clicked like, OK, like I can I can do this thing. You know, and I know you had messaged me saying like you I forget how you put it exactly, but you were starting to feel like one with the bike which I think is kind of what happens. And I don't think it's just motorcycling, but when you get competent at something, particularly mechanical devices, I mean, it applies to like instruments, musical instruments, I think, and and tools and things like that, right? When you kind of master it, it kind of clicks and it just feels like an extension of you. Because I guess because you're not thinking about it so much. You're just using the tool and you're not having to overthink what you're doing and like the fine details kind of thing. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Um, what's the longest ride you've done so far? So in terms of time, that would be two hours. Um, and that was uh, actually very early on. I think it was one of the first rides I started recording. And that was just around the immediate neighborhood that I live in. Mm-hmm. Um just simply very slowly and carefully cycling around um, every single road, every single corner, multiple times. Um, in terms of distance, I think this was actually set two days ago, 25 miles. And that turned out to be about an hour and a half. 
Um, and that, uh, so uh, not to spoil the punchline too much, but what I've started doing recently um, is as I have graduated from the, the low speed uh, n- frequent stop neighborhood stuff, uh, I've identified a few roads that are um, between 35 and 45 mile an hour speed limits around town. Um, actually, they completely encircle the town um, that I have been able to take uh, and kind of slowly move myself up to a, a highway style speeds. Mm-hmm. Good. Cool. So in, in the riding you've done so far, so like the 25 mile trip that you did, was that kind of getting out a little bit into the, I, I don't know exactly how th- things are in, in the area you are, but kind of getting out into the countryside a little bit or a, a little bit. It's, it's a very weird town. The zoning laws are absolutely draconian such that in a very specific downtown core area, you have 14 or 15 story buildings, um, but less than two miles from that, you have farmland. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it kind of, uh, it, it depends on how drunk you are. If it is very <laughs> late night and you are very, very drunk, you can think to yourself by squinting hard, oh, I'm in New York City, tall skyscrapers right, right. here. Right. Um, but then if you're very sober and trying to get out of town, it's five minutes to the edge on a particular mm-hmm. road so okay but then you're kind of <laughs> you're kind of out in the farmland and whatever so kind of a little scenery or i mean city of scenery too but non-urban scenery i guess yes yeah. okay cool um any feel for when because i know one of your goals right with the motorcycle is doing you know, like weekend trips, the kind of things mm-hmm. you would do, like road trips you would do in the car, either to a, a good railroading destination or something like that, right? So being how things are now and your comfort level with the motorcycle, when do, when do you think that'll happen? Like how, how far out, you know, is it a month, two months? Ooh, um, I think it depends primarily on how comfortable I feel with speed. Uh, as I have um, gotten faster and faster, I've noticed um, that uh, wind starts to play a little bit of a factor, and uh, I'm also a little bit more worried about like intersections and, and other automobiles because reaction times are slower. If if I feel wobbly at 10, 15 miles an hour. I can just come to a stop, throw out my legs, I'll be fine. Um, if I start to feel wobbly at 50, well, then it's a little bit of a different issue. Um, I think in terms of time, I'm not entirely too sure. I want to get myself up to highway speeds, at least 55 miles an hour, um, ideally 65, uh, before mm-hmm. I actually start moving away from the area. Um, so the... the uh, I alluded to it a lot uh, in the last episode, the, the practice regimen that I had. I identified uh, four neighborhoods that were sequentially adjacent to each other. Um, and I, I started out with three or four um, one to two hour trips just in my neighborhood. Um, then I finally graduated myself to the adjacent neighborhood. It was just um, one intersection over a major road. And then I would cycle back through there. Um, and then I would come back to this one. And, and I would practice crossing through the stoplight many times so that I could practice my clutch and making sure that I wasn't stalling at the intersection. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, the third neighborhood was just around one corner on this main road. So I would have to go on the main road for about a third of a mile before I would have to get off it. So then I practiced that a little bit and then went all around this other neighborhood. 
And then uh, the fourth neighborhood was actually a kind of a portion of the university. It was um, um, the agricultural, um, slightly more rural, um, far out area. And so it was a little bit more of a traditional style road, um, like um, 30 mile an hour speed limit or so. But also nobody was there, especially during the evenings and the weekends that I would do it on. So that would give me some actual road experience. Um, and uh, then the the fifth portion that I got to, which was actually about two weeks ago, um, I uh, actually decided to go on uh, on more active roads on the main portion of the university. That's where I found a parking lot. That's where I did my Moto Jitsu white belt. Okay, um, excellent. And then afterwards, uh, just after the sun dipped below the horizon, I think I actually sent you a picture of uh, my bike backlit by the sun on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, after uh, I got the Moto Jitsu white belt, um, I then took the motorcycle uh, during the twilight to uh, the famous Berkey Creamery on Penn State. Um, and that is how I learned that my saddlebags uh, can fit four half gallons of ice cream. <laughs> All right. I decided to reward myself for the white belt. Nice. Awesome. So that, I mean, these are the important things you need to know, right? Like how much ice cream can your saddlebag get? <laughs> that's, that's, exactly. that's really cool. And I bet you it's not in the tracer manual, right? The user manual probably exactly. left, left that out. So that's countersteering <laughs> is irrelevant in comparison. <laughs> That's awesome. No, but that's... Um, and then the fifth stage was um, what I started doing uh, most recently of going around town uh, on these forty-five mile an hour roads, and I'm I'm uh, kind of pushing myself a little bit above the speed limit um, because I think it's a lot better to go fifty, fifty-five miles an hour on a forty-five mile an hour road than it is to go fifty-five miles an hour on a seventy mile an hour highway. Sure. Um, uh, and and it also kind of gives me a little bit more, um, I, I guess, of a rigorous um, practice um, because uh, since I'm going faster than the speed limit of the road, the, the turns come a little bit more rigorously. I can always slow down on these roads if I feel that the that that I'm going too fast or that the roads are too technical for me. But on a highway, then I would I constantly have to worry about being overrun from behind me, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it would be a much worse thing if I were to slow down significantly under the speed limit on a highway so this is kind of um i've done two or three days where i've done this uh circuit around town again about 90 minutes a piece um uh i started off by um practicing first again in the same neighborhood that i'm in just uh, i don't know 15 20 minutes as a warm-up then i go to the the middle level um uh, penn state roads uh in the agricultural area and just practicing there and then i would take the entire loop around town most recently though i actually started to feel very confident and i started off with that loop around town and then i did it all the way back again um coming back home uh and i and i think i'm going to stay there for a while more until i'm a bit more comfortable with the speed and at this point, probably most importantly, wind resistance uh, and, and dynamics with uh, drifting, for example, at the higher speed. And then I think I'll graduate up to maybe a 55 mile an hour state road to another town. Um, the, the next stage is to go to <laughs> another ice cream shop, the town <laughs> over. Um, right. That's about... 30 minutes away one way um i will go there then i have another um destination uh what's it called bald eagle state park very american (laughs) with the name Mm -hmm. um they have a kind of a visitor center uh, and a historic lodge and that is a a maybe about an hour away there's a much faster way on the highway but i don't want to do that yet Uh, i want i'm going to take a little bit more of um a, a little bit slower, but also a little bit curvier and technic- more technical mountain road over this uh, mountain pass. Then I can get to the, the state park 
um, uh, say that I've been there, then I can take it back. And after I do that, I think I'll be ready about to try a highway. There's a highway in the area that I know does not get a lot of automobiles at a certain hour. And so that's when I'll try that. Um, I'll take it for about 10, 15 minutes, take it back, see how I get to that point. And if I can pass that crest, if, if, if I can prove to myself that um, I can safely go on a highway if I really need it, um, uh, if there's an emergency and I have to get home quickly and I can't take safer roads, that's when I think I'll, I'll shift from the dedicated motorcycle practice time phase to the, okay, it's now starting to replace the car phase. Mm-hmm. That, gotcha. that, that's kind of my entire plan for how I have all of this. No, it sounds like a great plan. And I like how you've kind of like, you're, you're setting goals for yourself, right? So it's like, you know, eventually you want to be able to do this thing, then be able to do that thing. And then, so that allows you to keep stretching, you know, your, your, your skills a little bit, pushing yourself a little bit. And, you know, it's kind of builds some control into it. And I, cause that's, I think that's, to me, was the big thing, like learning to ride a motorcycle is it's basically that just not feeling in control. And, you know, I've mm-hmm. talked, in past episodes like you know when i first started riding once i was okay comfortable in the neighborhood and it was time to go someplace i i didn't want to have to make left turns if that was going to be you know crossing over oncoming traffic and and if i look at it simply because i wasn't confident that i wasn't gonna like you said stall the bike in the middle of the turn or you know jump it when i shouldn't have and not have enough gap and have a car come charging down on me kind of thing so I think that that's really good what you've got. The, the, the program you've put yourself on sounds really, really good. Um, you know, as... Two important things that I do want to emphasize of this entire plan that I came up with. Yeah. Firstly, I emphasized repetition, especially a lot in the early portion of it. So um, when I would spend like hours and hours going across the same roads, the idea behind that was that I would kind of uh, make all of the operation of the motorcycle feel much more natural to myself, like when to do clutch, when to do throttle, when to do brake, when to do shift, when to do rear brake, and so on. Um, uh, Such that by the time I actually got out on uh, and started pushing myself, I wouldn't actually have to think uh, uh, intellectually about what I would need to do to keep myself safe. I would just be able to do it. Um, And then the second part is um, all of these options, every step that I would push myself a little bit farther, I always had some sort of abort option, a a, a route back that I could take home. Um, I mean, even if it included just walking the motorcycle across the sidewalk from one neighborhood to the next, Mm -hmm. such that I could avoid the main roads. I always made it such that if something went wrong, if I pushed myself too far, if I got stuck in a place where I didn't feel comfortable getting out of, I could easily take it back home thankfully i didn't need to use any of them but it was also just nice having it in my mind thinking that all right it's not the end of the world if you go too far if you don't feel right you can always just be safe go back home it will be okay at the end of the day yeah no that that's that's an excellent point um and, and it's interesting too because you know a technique that i've adopted and you know a lot of motorcyclists talk about and and particularly coaches and like fast eddie and whatever is you know that applied to your riding so because i think that's good what you said because it gives a certain comfort level it's like it, you you have an exit strategy right so even if that meant you know what I, I can't do this anymore tonight i'm pulling the bike over to the side of the road and that's not going to be a problem because i know how to handle that and whatever it might be you know i'm like you said you're going to walk the motorcycle back or you're going to park it at somebody's house or you're going to call a friend with a trailer like there's, there's always an exit strategy and that's a thing with riding for any level rider, it's like whatever you're doing, like have 
two or three options. It's like, okay, yes, I'm traveling this way on the road, but there's someone merging in from the right. Well, what what am I going to do if they decide to come an extra lane and, and get in front of me? What am I going to do? And it's maybe chess is not the best analogy, but it, it's like that thing of kind of thinking ahead, like a, a few moves. It's like, if this happens, what am I going to do? If that happens, what am I going to do? Not to the point where you drive yourself nuts, because I've said that also in past episodes. Like to me, motorcycling is an activity you want to enjoy. But like you've said, you practice, practice, practice. You you have these things become second nature so that you're doing them, but you don't have to have too much attention on it. And then you have more attention to put on your surroundings and enjoying the ride and being safe, you know, at the same time. So I think that's cool. Um, I think my total uh, control instructor put it best. Uh, He said that as a motorcyclist, uh, the thing that you should always be thinking about is what is going to kill me next Mm -hmm. and how can I avoid that? Yeah, good. That's good advice. (laughs) Good, good way to avoid being dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and the thing, too, I was going to say to you about speed, because I know this is something we had just chatted, messaged about, you know, you're asking me about getting comfortable at speed and with various speeds. And my basic answer, and, and I'll just say here, is um, it, it comes with time. And it, it kind of sounds like that's what you're doing and what you're finding is it's like you find a way to go at the speed you're comfortable and you will just ride enough and practice enough that this is just what I found for myself. At some point, I'll be like, okay, I am now ready for this speed. You know, I, I at one point, I didn't want to ride the highway. Then I was like, oh, what the heck? Why can't I ride the highway? But I didn't want to do it when it was busy. So fine. So to do it when it's not busy, find a way to do that. And then eventually it was like, oh, what the heck? What does it matter? I can just get on the highway. Um, you know, and even like now when I ride, I don't think I would lane split. Now, in New York, it's not legal. So, you know, I don't do it for that reason anyway. But I don't in New think... York, it's also death. <laughs> yeah, well, drivers. I mean, you, you, you see a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say a lot, I see motorcyclists do it, and, and they evidently successfully, because I don't, I don't see them again splattered someplace you know, on, on the road <laughs> or something. So it, it, it can be done. Um, but my point is, like, I, I don't even, it may be a little bit different now, but at least at the time, I didn't have the comfort level where I felt I could competently do that you know, maneuver between two rows of cars that you don't know exactly what they're going to do kind of thing. But I expect even that will come eventually, probably way before lane splitting is legal in New York state. So maybe, you know, maybe I'll have a chance to go out to California, you know, be someplace where, where it is legal and and have a chance to try it. But it is interesting that just the progression, like step by step by step. The, the other thing I was thinking about with the speed, that's an interesting thing that I think maybe is partly what gets people in trouble is the nature of a motorcycle is the faster it goes within reason, the more stable it is. So it's a bit deceptive because, you know, as a new rider riding slower and trying to do slow maneuvers like in a parking lot like Moto Jitsu or whatever kind of practice, you know, you, you come up with for yourself, the motorcycle is less stable. And so it's kind of problematic. You go faster the motorcycle is more stable. You know, it doesn't want to fall over as much, but that doesn't mean your control skills are commensurate with that speed. And, and so maybe that's one of the reasons motorcycles are so dangerous is because it's very easy to go fast, very easy to twist the throttle, particularly in a straight line and go fast. But 
being able to take the fast motorcycle and slow it down <laughs> quickly or whatever is another matter, you know, and again, that's where the training and the practice and understanding the dynamics and the physics of motorcycles, you know, is, is an important thing. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. Um, so it sounds like, it sounds like you had maybe a one close call, but you haven't dropped the motorcycle at all, right? It wasn't quite a close call. It was a, a moment when I came up to a stop sign and I didn't remember the rule how you're always supposed to square out your bars uh, when you come to a stop. And so I started to tip to one side. I was able to catch myself easily enough with the um, uh, uh, with, with my legs. Um, but that was the closest moment that I ever had to feeling out of control of the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's good. Awesome. And let's, we'll keep it that way. Right. We'll and if not, I have the uh, frame sliders to help at least right. a little bit. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. The um, the closest I got to dropping a motorcycle first time was in the MSF, the basic rider course, where I got yelled at by the instructor because they would rather and I understand they would rather have you drop the motorcycle and deal with whatever damage as opposed to a person injuring themselves, right? And then having a you know a lawsuit because the person got hurt or something. But whatever, I was kind of losing losing the motorcycle, and it was light enough I was able to keep it from going over. It maybe got thirty five, maybe forty degrees, and I was able to pull it upright. Um, the other time, and again, lesson learned, and that's always a good thing, right? Is you you have something happen, something bad or almost bad happen, is kind of look back, analyze what did you do wrong, what could you do better the next time. Uh, was with the Vulcan S. I was at a gas station. I pulled up in front of the pump, put down the kickstand the way you're supposed to, put the bike on the kickstand, realized that I wasn't really as far up as I wanted to be, and it was going to be a little bit of a hassle to get the gas in the tank. So took the bike off the kickstand, put the kickstand up, rolled the bike forward, and then went to put the bike down. But the kickstand, I hadn't put the kickstand down. Oops. So... <laughs> I just remember it's like one of those slow motion things where you're like, what did I just do? So I'm like sort of <laughs> getting off the bike as it's falling to the left. And fortunately, it was a combination of the handlebar hit the ga- the, the pump. So that kind of stopped the fall. And then this potentially could have been bad, you know, at least in, in like in on Long Island, right? Gas pumps are often on a little bit of a concrete platform that kind of raised off the, right, the parking lot level. Um, and so my foot, got slid up against that and then the bike was leaning on my leg now you know if it was a much heavier bike i probably could have broken my leg so (laughs) you know it's one of those things where it's like okay that worked out good this time but so then going forward i adopted the policy that you know okay whenever you stop the bike put the kickstand down just get in that habit stop the bike kickstand down then if i forget or whatever and i'm a little distracted and i go to get off the bike at least you know the kickstand is down so lesson learned yeah, I'd heard on a YouTube video uh, somewhere that that's one of the most common beginner mistakes uh, to forget to put down the the kickstand. And so I'm I, myself absolutely diligent about making sure it's down every time I uh, step over the bike. So mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't had that problem yet. That's it. Well, you, you, let's let's just decide that you won't <laughs> you won't you won't have that problem. But it, but it is it is important. I think, and I'm going to do an episode on this. I think of developing habits like that. Um, you know, particularly for beginners, like for example, there was at least one time as a, a very new rider where I drove off without my helmet being buckled. 
Um, oh, I've done that three or four times. Yeah, you know, or I've driven off without the top case being closed and latched or whatever, you know, like ordinarily during the day, I have my wallet in my back pocket. I don't like to ride like that just because of the possibility of, the po- of my wallet slipping out. So I either put it in a zippered pocket in my jacket or in the top case. So I, I've gotten now into the habit of like kind of completing actions, right? So it's like, Okay, so I walk up to the motorcycle. First thing that happens, wallet out of the back pocket into something zippered or enclosed. You know, as soon as I put the helmet on, it gets buckled. Like it's not helmet on. Okay, do something else, and then because you may not remember to buckle it. You know, th- those kind of things. The same thing, like I said, with the kickstand. So I think if you just kind of train yourself, you just do that over and over again, it just becomes part of your habit. And same thing, even like you know, test check your tire pressure, decide what you know what your pattern is going to be, and then whether it's I think Fast Eddie said he does it Monday mornings. I try to do it every time I ride, but whatever it is, it's like just getting that habit. Okay, going to go out for a ride, check the tire pressure. Then it's always tested. You always know what the situation is. You're not going to forget, you know. It, it just kind of reminds me of like what pilots do, right? You know, they, they have pre-check, you know, a pre-flight checklist, right? So it's like we're getting ready to take off. Okay, uh, did we close the door? Yes, check. Okay, is the gas in the tank? Check. Whatever it happens to be, you know, so that you make sure you don't, you don't forget anything. It kind of sounds a little bit like NASA's flight rules. So every yeah. time that uh, something goes wrong in NASA, they create a new flight rule. So it's it's kind of like a more dynamic version of the pilot's checklist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think some of it is just a little bit of a learning experience. Some of these things, uh, not everybody can tell you. Uh, like um, th- There are some of them that are fairly standard, like putting the kickstand down and making sure you square your bars whenever you come to a stop. But some of them, uh, like, for example, uh, making sure the top case is locked that might just be person to person specific and so i guess for a new rider you have to be um uh, cognizant of uh the things that 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 could have been serious mistakes and then always make a very serious point to prevent them from happening again as you go along yeah absolutely and and like you said it, you know it's something that it should be tailored for each individual i'm not saying this is a specific order people should do things but i think they sh- they should decide on an order so it just uh, it just becomes part of the routine and the habit and you know less less likelihood that they're going to forget something so so given okay so what you've done so far with the motorcycle and the practice that you've done and the confidence you're getting with it and the, the bit of you know the riding that you have done would you pick the same motorcycle again Oh, good question. Um, I think very well I might. Um, now, obviously, I'm not necessarily one to listen to so much because I, I've been on so few motorcycles, all told. Um, I haven't been on a new motorcycle since the Tracer. But at least with the time that I've spent with it, which all told actually hasn't been that much, um, it, it's just feeling more and more an extension of myself, um, both in terms of uh, personality and utility and things that I would use it for, but also in terms of, uh, like you said, being one with the machine, feeling yeah. that it is an extension of what it is that I wanted to do. I think some of it comes with um, experience and time. Um, some of it comes with um, uh, personality styling uh, what it is that I'm looking for in a motorcycle. Um, and some of it is just unquantifiable. But I I think I would choose it again. I'm not unhappy with it in any capacity. It, it fits perfectly what I need of it. Awesome. That is great to hear. That's really, that's really good to hear. Um, would you, you know, again, knowing what you know now, would you still, would you recommend it as a first bike for someone? And, and, and granted, granted that, right, there's a lot of factors that 
go into like you've mentioned that it's a tall bike but you happen to be a tall tall person so it, mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of works for you but you know but but given that you know it was generally suitable for a person you know do you think it's a good first bike in terms of the power and the features and ride rideability hmm. in terms of power features rideability i think it, it, it hits all the marks as for whether or not it's a, a good first bike i i still um I think it's on the upper edge of things, which I did say before. I think it's less so on the line. Uh, it feels a little bit more manageable now that I have a little bit more experience with it, um, actually, rather than just a quick test ride. Um, I still think, though, be cautious. Um, don't go too far um, in the direction of something tracer. Like, make sure that it is something that you can handle. But otherwise, I mean, I'm a beginner. It's my first bike. I'm having a good time with it. Um, I haven't had any real concerns. So I think, yes, it's not middle of the ground first bike, mm-hmm. um, but it is definitely quite manageable. Good. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Is there anything you would change about the bike? The only thing that I can think of is um, I, I might want to invest in the future in a more dedicated touring windshield, something that's a little bit larger than the factory stock, something that goes up a little bit higher. Again, that is just simply me being a taller person um, with my helmet being sufficiently over the um, uh, wind line uh, that created by the windshield. Um other than that, I mean, uh, I absolutely love it. The only real concern that I've ever heard from other people about the motorcycle is that they don't like how the uh, passenger foot pegs are a little bit far forward and can sometimes conflict with your heel. But I really haven't had trouble with that. In fact, it's almost kind of nice to have uh, that that thing that I can brace my uh, foot against to make sure it's in the right position. It's it's like, um, what is it? The little bars on the, um, I'm, I'm looking here because I don't know how to type F and J keys that tell you that your uh, fingers are going back to the neutral position it's kind of like the same thing with the foot pegs it's something nice that you you know exactly where your foot is because you can brace it by this landmark um yeah no i love it i think it's fine okay good awesome and uh, you you have cruise control, right? On... Yes, I do. I haven't actually used it yet. Okay. Um, that is part a matter of safety. I want to be able to be in complete control of the bike uh, all the time whenever I'm, I'm doing this. It's partly a matter of practice. Of I want to get a better sense of at what speed I can take this curve uh, and 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 what it's like to 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 modulate the the speed with my wrist. Um, I think though when I do get to uh, highway level speeds, I think I will start to use it and I'll. I'll I'll do it by setting by by first moving up to a speed where I feel comfortable. Again, this will probably be late in the evening on uh, probably Sunday night, something like that, when nobody's on the roads, uh, on the highway specifically. Um, and then I will slowly uh, use the cruise control to inch the bike up. Um, what do the owner's manual say? 1.2 miles per hour uh, at a time until I can actually get myself to a highway uh, level speed. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but no, I have not used it yet. Okay, but it, it's great that you have that feature. I'm, I'm sure you'll really enjoy it and appreciate it once. Oh, absolutely! Once, once you do start using it, I, neither of my bikes have cruise control. That's the only thing I kind of wish I had. That it's like, wow, you know, if I just had that feature, it'd be like really, you know, well, maybe perfect to stretching it. But I was like, that would be, you know, that would be really awesome. Um, now with so with your windshield. Um, given like your height where is the airflow hitting you is it like kind of hitting you in the helmet like kind of square in the face or you know with with the windshield that you have now um 
I I don't quite know exactly where. Um, that's because I haven't put too much thought uh, into it. I think it was more a matter of me looking down, thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm going 50 miles an hour." Ah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um. So I, I wasn't exactly paying attention to the wind, but it does seem to be hitting me about uh, square in the face. I think. Um. With my, the helmet that I'm using, that's not a problem at all. Um. Uh, the only it, it only manifests itself in wind noise and when I turn my head looking uh, for a lane change, mm-hmm. um, and I really also only notice it above forty five miles an hour. Um, sure. I have noticed that if I lean forward a little bit, um, kind of pretend that I have more of a racing bike, then I can get squarely behind the helmet. So it seems to be a matter of only. Oh, maybe three to five inches uh, that uh, that it's too low. Um, I do know that Yamaha offers a um, uh, uh, th- their own um, touring windshield, which does seem to be a little bit larger. Um, I'm also a little bit reticent to change the windshield because it just looks so lovely. It's not like one of the <laughs> um, a- a- enormous spheres of plexiglass that you right. see on some bikes. This one right. is a, a much more, um, I don't know, artistic and angled um, portion. Well, I can't quite describe it. Look, I mean, you know, looks can be part of it, right? I mean, it applies to <laughs> motorcycling, maybe even more. That, well, not more than cars, right? I mean, you know, when you think about sports cars and exotic cars, right, that's the look and the aesthetic is part of it. And it applies to motorcycles, too. So, I mean, check it out. I mean, once once you start doing more speeds, you know, higher highway speeds and whatever, see. I mean, maybe, maybe it's manageable. You may not mind it. Uh, the, the reason I was asking is because I know sometimes people run into problems with, like, wind buffeting where – just based on the general aerodynamics of the bike, you know whether it has a windshield or not, or the shape or size, height of the windshield, it can cause interbulation of the airflow, and that can cause you know your head being kind of tossed around like one of those bobble bobblehead things, um, <laughs> which which obviously could be very uh, what's the word not just distracting but upsetting for people, you know, and so then if that happens, people will you know, adjust the windshield, put on a, a higher windshield or, you know, whatever to, to kind of, to kind of mitigate that. Um, I guess the, the windshield you have is not adjustable, right? It's just kind of actually, no, it is fixed. adjustable. Okay. Um, but of course be me being a taller person, I it's have it permanently the... adjusted to the higher setting. Okay. So does it also adjust angle or is it just up like up and down? Uh, only up and down. Actually, that's one of the reasons why I do like the tracer, um, is that the, uh, adjustment, th- um, thing, it- it's a beautiful handle that can actually be, uh, accessed while the bike is in motion. Nice. So it's, it's no sort of, uh, bolts, no, no f- uh, switch that you have to flick on the front of it. Uh, all you have to do is just grab it and then slide it up or down. Okay. Nice. That's cool. Um, you know, and one thing you may want to look at, if you do decide to change the windshield, you know, you could even, there's lots of aftermarket options i mean you know you you may find something aftermarket that has either more the shape you know maybe not as big as the the yamaha option um you know but bigger than what you have or maybe has the adjustability that you need i've even seen where you'll have like the windshield and then this like another separate piece of plexiglass or whatever the material is kind of like a spoiler or a wing kind of at the top that will help redirect the airflow. So there's things, you know, things you could look at that way. I've also heard of designs where, you know, it allows airflow under the, the, the windshield, you know, so that you have a little bit of airflow. Cause that's a thing too, especially riding in hot weather, you have a nice windshield that blocks the wind. So you don't get all that pressure when you're riding but you also don't get the cooling airflow as much either so it's one of those things that it's like aerodynamics right you got to play with it and see 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 what works best for you so cool um 
So sounds like you know overall you were you were happy with the purchasing experience at the dealer where where you got the tracer. So yes. uh, I, I know you mentioned their name already. Should we give them a little plug here? Five Star Power Sports in, well, technically um, Duncannon, Pennsylvania, but basically Altoona. Uh, specifically, Steve O. Uh, he was absolutely marvelous. Um, he, he actually made a, many specific points about not trying to push something on me that I couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, I, I think they did a marvelous job of handling my eccentricities. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Good. Well, glad, glad you had a good purchase experience because that, that's important too. That's really important. Um, should we, we talk a little Moto Jitsu? We kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, well, I was able to get my white belt, uh, or at least uh, in terms of the specific um, uh, uh, exercises. I still haven't watched, a, what is it, a twist of the wrist too? So mm-hmm. technically, once I finish that, then I will have my white belt. Right. Um, as for the Moto Jitsu, um, I found it uh, surprisingly uh, both achievable and also kind of a little bit intimidating. Um, so I mentioned this uh, to you uh, through fa- some Facebook messages. Um, I got painters tripods uh, to mark out all of the things that I needed to do. Um, and I actually did the entire course um, perfectly the first time round without issue. But then I decided to myself, you know, I need to go back and uh, practice that slalom a little bit more. And some of it was difficult because the um, massive parking lots that Penn State has for the football stadium, they actually are not perfectly level. And so I was kind of worried a little bit about like like uh, going slightly uphill versus slightly downhill. Um, and so I set up the slalom again. Um, and then all of a sudden, I heard uh, three lovely little pops as I was going through the slalom. And I looked <laughs> back and see uh, to see a field of orange confetti behind me. Right. Um, so uh, I, I kind of uh, realized that I need to practice a little bit more on the, the slow speed maneuvering of the motorcycle. Um, and I think actually for now, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the um, kind of uh, road level practice. Just just get a, a little bit more of the, the balance and experience of the motorcycle under my belt before I uh, go and try the, the um, uh, blue belt. That and of course, I also need to buy new painter's tripods or maybe <laughs> a, a, a cut in half tennis balls is probably right. a, a better idea in the long run. <laughs> What, yeah, whatever works. I mean, I, I know people use all kinds of cones and, and markers and things. You know, some people use chalk. So, yeah, absolutely, whatever, whatever works for you. But, but I think it's good that, you know, I, I'm guessing you didn't, you didn't pay too much for those painter's tripods, right? And so you lost. Like seven bucks for ten, so not okay. bad. So, so you lost a couple, so, you know, no, no, no big deal. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, um, so just recently, it was a two weekends ago, Gene and I start, well, started worked on our white belt i mean basically same thing i i need to do the the knowledge part right because the way fast eddie has moto jitsu set up each belt there's like the the drills that you have to be able to do successfully and then there's kind of a knowledge portion that he has associated Mm -hmm. you know what watching a movie or reading a certain book or whatever and then so part of like the official getting your belt is not only do you have to demonstrate to him that you can do the various maneuvers but then he'll test your knowledge of it as well. So I, th- I think it's kind of a good mix of like practical and also knowledge and, and understanding of things. But so I, you know, I was able to do the white belt drill. So that's cool. Still need to watch. Actually, I bought the book. I actually started reading Twist of the Wrist Volume 2. I uh, want to watch the movie, which unfortunately I can't find streaming anywhere. And I pretty much do everything streaming now. I even, huh. 
I even sent an email to uh, Total, whatever it's called, Lee Park's company, Total Control, Total Control. Training or whatever. You know, I'm convinced they, that Lee uh, Parks doesn't actually exist because he was mythicized <laughs> so much in the class. I mean, I'm sure that it, it, he's like Big Brother from 1984. They, they must have brought in an actor to pose for those photos. And in reality, it's just some sort of large uh, 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 creation of a conglomeration of uh, motorcycle instructors. <laughs> you, 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 ne- you never, never know. I mean, I, I'm Facebook <laughs> friends with him. At, but for all I know, it's a software robot or something that <laughs> puts, puts out puts out posts. But uh yeah, I, I've never met him. Um, I'd love to. Actually, I want to see if I can maybe get him on the show, you know, one of these episodes. But uh, sounds like a really cool guy. And and in particular, just a little bit I know of him is you know, not just – I believe he's got experience racing motorcycles, both like track and dirt and whatever. Um, but he also sounds like a, an entrepreneur, you know, because he, he's got his company and he, he like – he. You know, has a line of race gear, you know, cl- you know, racing gloves and stuff like that. So it sounds like a interesting, interesting cat. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so Gina, I think I'm trying to think actually. I think she also passed all the the practical part for her white belt. So at some point, we'll we'll start working on the blue belt as well. One one thing I found, I don't know if if you did, is it's really kind of interesting. Is and of course, a lot will depend on your motorcycle and the nature of the controls and whatever. But it it can be a bit of a workout. You know, you, you do like that low speed parking lot stuff for an hour or something like that, and you feel it. It's like mm-hmm. I can feel my my hand is cramped right from working the clutch. Um, you know, and and even you know just from the you know concentrating and just trying to make sure you're doing everything correctly, it does take a little out of you. Like it's a little it's a little tiring, you know? And so I find, you know, you go for an hour and it's like, wow, like I feel like I did a little, like I, I feel like I worked out on my motorcycle, which, which is, which is actually kind of interesting because one of the things I was thinking about is how important it is. And you see this with, you know, with motorcycle racers who are top athletes, right? You know, how, how much being physically fit and in shape relates to your ability to control the motorcycle too. You know, and so that's kind of a hand in hand kind of thing. And it's been one of the side benefits for me. You know, I started riding the motorcycle and I was like, you know what? I need to get in more shape. And I lost some weight and, you know, I'm thinking, OK, I'm going to start bicycling again. And so it, it's kind of a good, like, kind of overall thing, I think. Now you understand why I decided to get four half gallons of Berkey Creamery ice cream after <laughs> getting the white belt. There you go. Something to reward all that exercise and hard. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. Um, but I can't uh, have all of your communist losing weight and being fit. No, I'm American. <laughs> I want my high fat, high sugar diet. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, so it, it has been interesting doing the moto jitsu, and you know, I will continue to do it. And uh, yeah, I've been trying to share on my Facebook page, you know, what's going on, and when we go out, and I've been making videos and stuff like that. But I, I definitely could see the value because I, I think Fast Eddie himself mentions whenever he goes out riding. You know, if he's going out riding for fun, he does something beforehand to practice, whatever it is. He does some, you know, emergency braking practice or he does some slow speed, you know, cornering or figure eights or whatever. It actually makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm kind of starting to do that. You know, it's like if I'm going to go out for a ride, oh, there's a parking lot. Let me do some, you know, the, the parking lot, you know, the parking space weave. And that's one of the nice things, too. The way he has it set up and the dimensions, in part, it's kind of you know, based off of, you know, your normal parking space 
separations and whatever. So you don't even, there's certain things you could do. You don't even need to have the cones and measure stuff out. You just got to go in a parking lot and go, okay, can I do this thing? You know, and obviously you can even kind of make up your own drills and things like that. But yeah, so anyway, so I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. That's awesome. Sounds like it's helping. It's definitely helping me. I know Gina's getting benefits out of it. And it's been good too, because it's one of the things ever since we started riding together, she mentioned her interest was is more on slow speed control and learning slow speed maneuvering. Like she really likes like when you see like the uh, the motorman, like the police officer, when they do like the, those big Harleys or whatever, and they do like the, the you know the really fancy slow speed maneuvers, like the Jim Connor kind of stuff. Like that's more her thing than 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 high speed. So it was kind of cool to find the Moto Jitsu thing because it was like this already laid out plan. Okay, go to a parking lot, set this up, do that. Do, do those exercises, right? You don't, it's kind of laid out for you. You don't have to make up your own or whatever. So that's, well, that's she gets enjoyment from doing lots of low speed motorcycle work. That's a recipe for actually being happy in the New York city area. <laughs> that is, an ex, that is an excellent point and dealing with all the traffic and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, you know, I, I have to say it's um, on her motorcycle. Like I said, just on mine, my hand gets tired on hers. It's even more of a challenge. And yeah, you know, she's fairly petite. You know, she's five, four or five, five, something like that. Um, you know, she doesn't weigh a heck of a lot and she's got, it's a 500 pound motorcycle. It's a big thing to, to control and move around. And I'm telling you, like the, the spring, the spring setup on her clutch is like, like from a real manly man, like it, it is a heavy, heavy spring. It's way heavier, like the one on my bike, and my my hand gets tired. So I, wow. I, was, I, I wasn't surprised after a while. She's like, "Okay, I gotta take a break for a while because <laughs> my hand is getting a big workout here." You know, so it'd be good practice for guitar players. <laughs> you know, build build up the fret hand. Or excellent motivation to get four half gallons of ice cream while you're at it. There you go. <laughs> uh, she does love ice cream, I have to say. So there you go. Um, oh, well, then if you guys are ever in the area, I know exactly where to the, take The place you. to go? Awesome. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. Um, so have you given any thought to courses you want to do in the future, like additional training? Uh, I think at the end of the summer, I'll probably try to take something uh, like the intermediate rider course and then maybe the advanced rider course at the end of the next riding season. Um, for now, though, I think uh, what I have going for myself uh, is enough to, to get me to a, a basic level of competency on the roads. And I think that uh, coupled with um, a, a decent amount of um, safety and caution um, is enough to get me through things. I, I partially don't want to take another course quite yet, um, just so that I don't push myself too far. Um, because that that's probably at this point where I'm most likely to accidentally end up tipping the bike or something. Mm, okay. That's a good point. And, and for sure, like it is a mix, you know, it, it's uh, practice probably is the biggest thing, but you know, the advantage of the course is you learn some good technique and then practice, 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 you know, on the road, in the parking lot, moto jitsu, like whatever, you know, you're choosing to do. And, and then, okay, good. So now you've got a certain level of competence. Okay, now do the next course. Yeah, because because I agree. Like that, I mean, just just what you learn in the in the basic rider course and the things that you have like in in moto jitsu. There's there's plenty to practice. You know, mm -hmm. like I said, I, I I can I can do my white belt, but that doesn't mean I feel like you know it's perfect. And in fact, I think I'm probably going to continue working on it a little bit before I start worrying about the the next belt. Um, exactly. Just, just really feel like I've nailed it. Like, okay, nailed, do it anytime, whatever, any time of day, it doesn't matter. Okay, fine. And then, you know, kind of go on to the next one. But uh, yeah, so that's cool. Um, 
again, this is like one of those, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty kind of questions. So, so given where you're at and what you've learned in listening, you know, having listened to the various episodes of my podcast, is there any content you wish I had provided that you're kind of like, you know, if Chris had just talked about this thing, it probably would have saved me some uh, hassle or grief or whatever. Huh. That's a very good question. You know, um, I think it it might be nice if you could throw in uh, a few episodes of like, uh, this is what you should expect when you're doing something or other. Like, um, uh, like this is what will happen on your first track day. And this, this is uh, the point that you should be at before you do it. This is how you sign up for a track day. This is what they're like when you're there. Um, also, this is what you should expect at a dealership or, or this is what you should expect at the beginner writers course. Like um, th- there's a, a lot of mysticism about all of this. Looking back retrospectively at all of the things that I've done, like purchasing the motorcycle and taking the course, um, it, it, it kind of makes sense that it uh, came out out the way that it did but uh thinking back to before i did those things it, it was kind of like i don't know um it, it just very foggy i didn't quite have an idea of what would be involved what i would need to do what would happen what i would feel like at the beginning what i would feel like at the end and so on so maybe if you could just throw in um a, a, some sort of series like that that would be incredibly mm-hmm. helpful i'm quite certain to many new riders who have basically no experience with motorcycles Okay, excellent. Good point. So I think you just probably outlined at least six more episodes. So that's <laughs> so, so so thank you for that. No, that's, that's, you're welcome. That no, that's a great point and it, it's interesting cuz that kind of dovetails in with one of the reasons, you know, when when I was designing the the cover artwork for the podcast why I chose the big question mark. Because I kind of had that thought too, like and and I know for myself when I started, but I could just imagine, you know, someone starting out, it's like it, it's just this bewildering array of questions you know how do you do this and what's going to happen here and what happens when that when you do that and it's all this kind of stuff so i think that's a good point so i'll start working on that um before we wrap up for the evening anything you just kind of wanted to add in just to, to what we've talked about you know as it's geared towards you as a new rider or helping you know other people that are getting started or anything about the tracer 900 gt um i think we actually managed to cover basically everything I think so too. Awesome. Cool. All right. So, uh, any, any closing words? Do you have any sign off that you use? Um, Hmm. Well, I always sign off with a different piece of vocabulary, but I can't think of one right now. Uh, As a closing comment, I think I might be very well able to make it to the loud pipes meetup at Gettysburg. Okay. Um, I have a few scouting missions planned out ahead of time. Uh, so that I can be entirely familiar with the roads. And if I can just get myself up to highway speeds before then, I think I might be able to do it. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. If that works out, that would be awesome. If not, we'll meet up the next opportunity. Uh, maybe I'll come buzz over to Pennsylvania by you or something like that. We could do a little ride. It would be really cool. Maybe I can woo Gina with the ice cream. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right. Awesome. So John, Thank you very much for being on the uh, podcast again. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you're enjoying your your motorcycling. It's 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 great to hear. I mean, for me personally, the whole thing's very rewarding because you know, just having had you contact me way at the beginning and say, "Hey, you know, I found your podcast and it's kind of helping me and I'm going to get a motorcycle and it, it's just kind of I feel like at least partly, you know, I'm starting to uh see the fruits of my labor, I guess. So, that that's that's really awesome. I'm glad I can provide you that satisfaction. Yeah. 
and then uh yeah what, what do you think when, when's a good time well, I, well hopefully so hopefully in july we'll meet up for the loud pipes thing and maybe we'll yeah. kind of bring your recorder do i'll bring a recorder we'll do an update then and then what do you think every one two months or something like that yeah sounds good all right awesome all right thank you sir have you thank have you a great Chris, evening for having you once again and uh, enjoy your motorcycling absolutely be safe out there you too so a big thank you goes out to John Gardner for being a guest on the podcast again. Also, just want to let everyone know, I still got stickers available. If you'd like to have one, just uh, email me your mailing address. I'll send one out while supplies last. And of course, you can contact me at so you want to ride at yahoo.com or on my website, www.soyouwanttoridemotorcycle.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can make a one-time donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis, or click the donate link at the upper right-hand side of my website. Please like and leave me comments and a rating on your favorite podcast service. That'll help other people find my podcast. And please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for So You Want to Ride. So spread the word and please help me keep building my online community. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 